0: Hello and welcome to Achievement Oriented, Channel 33's gaming podcast. My name is Ben Lindberg and I'm a writer for ringer.com and on the other line, my permanent co-op partner, Jason Concepcion. Hey Jason. It's wonderful to be here once again. They're continuing to let us do this. I know. Against all odds, we've made it to episode <laughs> two. I feel like we completed the tutorial last week and now we just got to grind. Just got to yeah. start climbing that upgrade tree. One more is a kill streak. Yeah, right. Speaking of which, later in this episode, we will be talking to Mark Ingram, whom most of you know as a former Heisman Trophy winner and a current NFL running back with the New Orleans Saints. Jason and I are sorely lacking in football knowledge, so (laughs) we know about his football (laughs) background from Wikipedia, but we also know him as a huge Call of Duty fan, and today is the release day for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare and Modern Warfare Remastered, so we're going to talk to Mark about his history history with the series and his play style and the Call of Duty subculture in the NFL and a few other topics, including clowns and kill attack dogs. <laughs> but... First, lest you think that this is just an FPS podcast because of how we started last week, we are going to talk about something other than big-budget shooters, and we told you last week that from time to time we'd be talking to colleagues from The Ringer, and we are making good on that promise today by bringing in Victor Luckerson, who is one of The Ringer's tech writers and frequently finds reasons slash excuses to write about video games. Victor, <laughs> hello.
1: Hey, Ben. Jason, how you guys doing?
0: We're doing okay. So we uh, wanted to have you on to talk about some console news because it's an exciting and scary time in the console world. Next week, the PS4 Pro comes out, which... Mark's, I I suppose you could say, the first mid-generation console update or overhaul that's not just a a moderate facelift, but an actual step forward hardware-wise. It's not just a slim version of something. It's, to some extent, a different console. And we have the new Nintendo console. The Switch comes out next March. And Super Mario Run, Nintendo's first mobile platformer, comes out on iOS next month. And it just so happens that you have written about all three of these things. So you are the... The perfect person <laughs> to talk about these <laughs> topics right and
2: the x ex- let let us not forget the xbox one s that it's already out yeah sure oh, yeah
0: and the scorpio which is a ways away yeah. But, next, year, uh, next year, right? Um, yep. Yeah. So over the summer, you wrote a great young man yells at cloud article <laughs> called uh, <laughs> Stop Ruining Console Games with PC Headaches, which I think yeah. definitely spoke to me. I think spoke to Jason Same. too. And Same. uh yeah. So to quote from that briefly, you said this is new territory for the console industry and it could end badly for consumers. For more than three decades, gamers and console manufacturers have entered into an honest pact. I buy your system for a few hundred bucks and you, along with third party developers, supply me with the best games you can make on that platform for five to seven years. This is how it's always worked. So now we are entering an unfamiliar world and you have mixed feelings.
1: Yeah, no, no, I'm really like not that excited about it, to be honest. Like I said, like I said in the article, I like the simplicity of having a console that you can buy and get guaranteed to get the best games possible on that system for at least five years. And we look at this new PS4 and the new Xbox. I think for now the games are going to be compatible with both the original PS4 and the PS4 Pro. But it's easy to imagine in the future them saying, oh, these games are only going to be possible on a PS4 Pro and virtual reality, for instance, or that kind of thing. (laughs) So I feel like I spent a lot of money on a PS4 last year, and I am not fully confident I'm going to get my money's worth because they have these new systems that are going to be their priority going forward.
2: With, now, so with this mid-generation, uh, release, I guess you could say virtual reality is like the value added here. I mean, there's 4K, which is, you have to buy a television too. So there's right. a limited value added. What are they like, what do they do after this? How, do, how do they keep rolling this out if this is really the new paradigm?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think when you think about virtual reality and sort of the need for the, like, increased fidelity and that kind of thing and to create an immersive experience, it's sort of easy to imagine you know, virtual reality 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, etc. And sort of the iterative process going on through that, I guess. But I'm also curious about whether or how far we are from sort of like cloud-based gaming. You know, PS, PlayStation already has the you can rent PS3 games on PS4 and play them emulated via the cloud. So I think like in the long term, maybe this is an issue, sort of like an end of console issue, you know. And in the future, we're going to be playing all of our games via the internet anyway. So then maybe I want to be mad about having to buy a $500 box and it being obsolete after two years, hopefully.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine the appeal of the PS4 Pro to current PS4 owners. I mean, it, it seems like for now, the upgrades are limited to things that only a, a small segment of the market would really care about. Like if you get really into reading about gigaflops and HDR <laughs> and 4K, like then this is right up your alley. But. For now, it seems like if you already have a PS4, the reasons to spend another $400 on a PS4 Pro are fairly limited.
1: Yeah, it seems like it. When I talk to people about, oh, are you getting the new PS4? They actually talk about the PS4 Slim, which is right. a. It has the old specs of the console, but it's smaller and more affordable. So I feel like that's actually going to be the one that is a system seller. So I mean, maybe in one sense, it's a smart strategy because Sony's going to get sort of the people who always wait for the slim down system to buy the PS4 Slim. And maybe they'll get the hardcore gamers to buy the PS4 Pro, and I'll just be in the middle frustrated that uh, we're going down
0: this path. Yeah. And I kind of went away from PC gaming to an extent at a certain point, and I think it did have a lot to do with that kind of pressure that, that you're talking about. It wasn't so much the expense of new hardware or the trouble of installing new hardware, although it was those things, but it was just the... Constant anxiety, the sense that I was falling behind, that I was not playing games at the optimal settings, and that I needed to upgrade to keep up with everyone else with their new sweet rigs or whatever. And I kind of realized that that's sort of an irrational fear, right? Because if you commit to console gaming, you're essentially just saying... I'm going to stick with the same hardware and I'm not going to bother upgrading. And so basically playing a console game that is also out for PC is essentially the same as just playing it with an old PC and turning all the settings down, right? And yet it right. doesn't bother me in the same way.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, with consoles, people historically have been very okay with the fact that it's not going to be the cutting edge thing. And I mean, that's been very successful for the industry for decades, so I'm really hoping that maybe these new systems don't succeed, honestly, because I really would prefer a situation where <laughs> you know, every five years <laughs> I get a new system. Maybe this, me, maybe, maybe this is me being very selfish, but that's the console that I've been enjoying for my entire life. And I like to see it stay pretty, pretty yeah, I, similar.
2: I remember the first time. I had like a Pentium 3 that I scavenged from something I remember the the first Far Cry was the game where I was like <laughs> oh man I can't play this game at all <laughs> yeah. um the, but the thing with consoles and you're exactly right about you're essentially playing PC games on the lowest settings but speaking as a person who plays a lot of multiplayer You come away with a confidence that you're not playing anyone that has an advantage over you in processor speed and graphics speed. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's going to be pretty much – the playing field's going to be very level. So, I think you know, there's there's that aspect to it as well. Mm
0: -hmm. But, I mean, Victor, as much as we're sort of reluctantly being dragged kicking and screaming into this future, (laughs) like, isn't it amazing that we've made it this far, like, (laughs) without having mid-generation updates? Because, I mean, you – cover a whole host of devices that just get a, an upgrade every year, you know, whether it's a phone or, or any other sort of device, it's more common to get frequent updates than updates every seven years or so. And software on consoles obviously is iterative and has been forever, you know, from Madden to Dynasty Warriors or whatever. We're completely accustomed to buying basically the same game every year with a few new features slapped on. So. It seems like we are overdue for this as much as we might resent it.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, in the post-iPhone era, everyone's used to having to buy wildly expensive gadgets year after year. So I guess in that sense, the companies have waited long enough that for a lot of people who are not as curmudgeonly as me, it's not going to be like an outrage or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think sort of the mind the mindset to upgrade has already sort of been ingrained thanks to other products, which could lead these things to be successful, but I also just think that people care about their other devices more than their video game consoles. Like I think a lot for a lot of people, the console is still sort of like a toy or just like an entertainment device that's not as essential as your phone or that kind of thing. So I think it's still gonna be tougher for them to convince people that they need to upgrade their PS4 as often as they upgrade their iPhone, for instance.
0: Mm-hmm And there's some danger of a slippery slope here, right? Not only in the sense that it's possible that at some point these things might not be backwards compatible anymore, but also if it's profitable every four years, then someone's going to try to do it every two years and then every year. And maybe the price will come down accordingly, but still we'll be looking at more and more updates and more and more things to feel bad about not owning and I guess the only thing that maybe could save us is if developers protest because they don't want to be – devoting more resources to developing games for multiple versions of the same system?
1: Maybe, man. I don't know. Maybe Nintendo can save us somehow with the Switch. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my hope. Somehow. <laughs> I gotta say, I am
2: I am a little bit surprised about the mid-console generation paradigm. And I would be surprised if it, if it speeds up just simply because Sony and Microsoft lose so much money on each console. You know, it's really about bundling consumers into a system more than it is selling hardware. I mean, they lose... Reportedly, you know, 60 to $80 on each console. Microsoft's probably more. So I, th- I think I would be surprised if, if this sped up any more than it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's kind of why I think the sort of cloud based model that they've been experimenting with is sort of like where they'd want to go ideally, because then. They're not selling consoles at a loss anymore. Um they're focusing on software they make all their money. So I don't really I don't know exactly how far we are away from that being viable, but I think if you looking in the long term, that's where they'd want to be more than
0: trying to sell more boxes in physical stores. I feel like kind of a hypocrite because you guys remember the N sixty four expansion pack? Yeah. <laughs> that was, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. my favorite thing. You just plug in this little <laughs> thing and it doubles the system's memory to eight megabytes, and suddenly you get higher res rogue squadron and you can play <laughs> right. Perfect Dark and it looks really pretty. and it, it was
1: required for Majora's Mask, I remember.
0: Yeah, right. And and Donkey Kong 64 too, except that game came with it. So I guess that's why I didn't mind that so much because, you know, you just slip this little chip into a, a pre-existing port on the console and it wasn't super expensive. And if a game really required it, sometimes it actually came with it. So it was just kind of a, a cool thing that I could lord over my friends who did not have expansion-packed N64s <laughs> and had to play with lower resolutions. So speaking of Nintendo... Nintendo... Nintendo consoles, let's move to the Switch. So the Wii U was the first non-virtual boy Nintendo console I never owned, and... I was not alone in that, and I kind of was plagued by guilt throughout its life cycle for not owning it just out of habit of buying Nintendo systems, but I think they gave people fewer reasons to buy this one than maybe they ever had before. And so Switch is pretty important, and you are encouraged by what you have seen so far, which basically amounts to a a three-minute video of attractive (laughs) 20-somethings being super excited about the Switch.
1: Right, they're playing Switch like on a basketball court and like in the airport and in these yeah. really bizarre scenarios. They don't seem that realistic,
0: but yeah, I mean... They're <laughs> pausing their actual pickup game to play 2K on the Switch.
2: They're working right. out their, their Super Smash-like strategies before the eSports
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, competition.
0: <laughs> right. So what, uh, what makes you mildly optimistic based on what we've seen so far?
1: Well, first of all, to give my own Nintendo history, I guess I've had all the systems since N64... I, I even, I even got a Wii U, but I sold it after like six months. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Um, I got it for Smash Brothers, and then once I got tired of that, I was like, you know, I've kind of made a big mistake here, so. <laughs> so I, I've been down on Nintendo recently, but. The Switch looks cool to me. I think the idea of a console that can be both a uh, home console and portable is really cool. It, like, the idea of being able to take a game, the game you're playing right there in your living room and go with you. Maybe not, like, to the airport to hit on a girl, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> on the subway or, like, on a vacation. That's really convenient. But the thing that, for me, the thing that's really cool about it is the fact that it's going to allow Nintendo to combine their, uh, home console and portable development teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big issue with all Nintendo systems is they have very few games because third parties don't like developing for Nintendo systems. Yeah. And I mean, it's a huge company with a lot of really talented designers, but they're often split between the DS line and the Wii line, you know, over the last decade or so. So if you can get those two teams together working on game for one system, they might be able to get or have fewer of the droughts that sort of seem
0: to plague a lot of their later systems. Yeah. And I, I think you and I are both sort of skeptical about the third party support, but Jason's buying it. Well, I mean, really? just, We're
2: a Well, I mean, it just just in the number of third parties that have been announced thus far, it's already like three times what the Wii U had, mm-hmm. you know, throughout its life. So, I mean, that's encouraging. I mean, they showed Skyrim being played on it, you know, what that says about, you know, the horsepower of the Switch is unknown, but I mean, that's encouraging. Yeah,
0: and I guess that would be my concern. I'm I'm just trying to think of the personal use case for the Switch for me, which is not the same as it might be for most people. I work from home and don't leave my apartment, as Jason knows. So <laughs> I don't know exactly when I would make that much use of the mobile functionality. I mean, you know, if I go out for a, a quick chores or something, we have podcasts now. So I've kind of yep. abandoned portable gaming to a, a certain extent just because of my lifestyle, which doesn't apply to. Everyone else, so it it might work out perfectly well for Nintendo. But aside from just wondering how I can incorporate it into my routine, I'm I am kind of wondering about the hardware, just because you figure that unless they are going to come up with some solution where they can downscale the home versions of the game for for mobile, then you'd have to assume that. They would just have to make everything playable on the portable system, and that would almost have to depress the capabilities, right?
1: Right. From what I've read, and I don't think they have actually released any specific specs about the system, there's some speculation that the sort of docking station will provide more computing power so that you can, like, uh, have fidelity on a high-definition high screen. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, like, the actual it's, the graphics are basically going to look more or less the same, like, on your big-screen TV or on your small screen. And it seems like based on the companies they're partnering with, I think Nvidia is providing the chips. And like based on who they're partnering with, people are expecting something like definitely below PS4, Xbox One. I guess above PS3, Xbox 360. Like not exactly clear where that lands or how much more powerful it is in the Wii U. But I mean, when you look at that really small form factor, it's hard to imagine it's going to be uh, that powerful. And also the fact that Nintendo hasn't made a super powerful system since yeah. I guess the N64 and expansion pack thing <laughs> that we were talking <laughs> about earlier.
0: <laughs> right. So do you think that's a, a disincentive for developers, then, if you have sort of these two state-of-the-art systems that people are concentrating a lot of their resources on? And then if you want to develop for the Nintendo console, you have to sort of scale back your, your specs? Or is that just a necessity for Nintendo because they can't compete with Sony and, and Microsoft head-on?
1: Yeah, I mean, they kind of painted themselves into a corner over the last decade, I feel like. The systems have been consistently, like, way weaker since the Wii and developers, because the developers have sort of already unified their development process with like PC and PS4, Xbox being all very similar in the development process, they've sort of like given up. A lot of developers pretty much don't bother anymore to make different kinds of games for different kinds of systems. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that kind of like hurts Nintendo when they have this other thing that they're trying to do and no one's really like trying to do that kind of like specific multi-platform development anymore. So I mean, personally, I kind of see they have this long list of third parties. I think they're going to get like stuff like Skyrim, like really old ports or that kind of thing. Maybe like a few exclusives, but I would imagine a lot of it's going to be ports from older systems or just things that like the B team is developing. I mean, I can't I think the last big Nintendo third party game I can remember is like Resident Evil 4 or something. That was a long time ago. So just like it's not really not not part of their strategy anymore. I feel like they're a different kind of company than the one that used to like have all the games a long time
0: ago. Yeah, and, and obviously for people like us with long Nintendo histories and loyalties, a lot of it comes down to the, the first part of games, which was... One of the big reasons why I never got a a Wii U or, you know, I mean, if there's a Zelda game, which there is, and if there's a 3D Mario game, which there is, and maybe if there's a Metroid game, I'm probably going to buy the thing regardless of what else is available. So a lot of it really does come down to that, although maybe that's not a sustainable strategy or a growth strategy for people who aren't already hooked on Nintendo franchises.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah. Not a, it's not a growth strategy, but I think it's a survival strategy. Like you mm-hmm. have to you have to release those games. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, with the original Wii, the Nintendo really created a brand that was like, OK, this is for families, not so much gamers. You know, it's like this is a revolutionary home entertainment device that's about it's about control schemes, not so much graphics and it happened at a time when, you know, consoles were shifting towards, we're going to show you the horsepower. Like, here's the best games we can show you. Here's Grand Theft Auto. Here's, like, games that you're really going to want to play because of the power of these consoles. And just created this kind of, like, dual system that Nintendo's been stuck in. Right,
1: for sure. I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, sort of how many Nintendo fans there actually are. Because when you think about the fact, like, their consoles have struggled, but their hands are super successful. And they have been, you know, since Game Boy. So now that they're combining these platforms, like how many, are they going to have like one really big user base because you have the people who like DS and the people who like Wii or whatever combined? Or is it, are they going to like continue to fall off because people just don't care about Nintendo games that much anymore? So I think it'd be interesting, interesting to see what happens with the combined platforms.
2: Do you guys ever think we'll see anything like Game Boy again? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, that was, that Game Boy had a life of like 10, 11
1: years. Right. <laughs>
2: it's you, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Dad. It. it was like comically out of date by the time. <laughs> I think Game Boy came out when I I was born in 1989, which I think might be the year it came out. And then uh, <laughs> it was <run> for like <laughs> it was <laughs> for like t- 2001, 2002. That's ridiculous. It was like it was running in three different decades, which is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs>
0: So what do you think it means for Nintendo's mobile strategy or their mobile presence, which to this point has been nearly non-existent, but seems to be ramping up at least slightly? What does it mean for that, that they are still developing a system that they intend for people to take with them when they're on the go? Are they going to be competing with their own mobile games, or can they just keep them in completely different sort of silos?
1: Well, I think the sort of different silos, it's definitely their strategy. Like, I think Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, has talked about how Super Mario Run, the game they're making for the iPhone, which is a runner a la Temple Run. Mm-hmm. Uh The idea of that is to get people, like, thinking about Mario again, exposed to Mario again, enjoying Mario, and then saying, hey, if you want to get the real Mario game, buy the Nintendo Switch. So I don't think even... Like, the games they've announced so far are all sort of very mobile-centric and not necessarily that innovative or creative. And I think that's sort of on purpose because they're yeah. trying to get people to do these sort of, like light, low-calorie entertainment on the mobile with Nintendo branding, and hopefully that'll get you to go get the real thing on the Switch, pay a little more money for those experiences.
0: But I guess it could, if something like Super Mario Run is able to, I mean, if it catches on, if it's profitable, if it's not quite the same experience that you would get from the Switch or even, say, the 3DS, but people will play it the way they play Angry Birds or Candy Crush or whatever the other popular mobile game is, then that could at least help finance Nintendo's other efforts, which would probably be a pretty welcome development at this point. Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Pokemon Go has been a huge money maker, only sort of for Nintendo because Pokemon has this weird Byzantine ownership structure that involves like four different companies, which is really strange. (laughs) Um, but I mean, the game is making a lot of money, and you can imagine, like, Mario, which is also a super strong entertainment brand, being really popular on phones as well. So I think there's definitely, like, Nintendo, uh, has had a few years in the red under the Wii U, which is very unusual for them. So they definitely need, and in, in addition to sort of, like, recalibrating their home console strategy, they also, like, actually need money. So putting games on iPhone is going to be good for them. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't, we, don't we all need
2: money
1: <laughs> <laughs> when it all comes yeah. down to it. <laughs> right.
0: By the way, I apologize to everyone for my non-standard pronunciation of Mario. I'm pretty sure it's a, <laughs> it's a New York thing.
2: <laughs> wait, say, wait, how do you say it? Mario. Is that not how you say Mario?
0: <laughs> so you say- oh, well, I'm Mar- from New Mario. York. Oh, Mario. Okay. That is- Mario. Mario. It's a New York thing, I'm pretty sure. Mario. It's definitely Mario.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how he says it. Yeah. What do what what they say in the movie? I'm trying to remember what they say in the movie. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I'm not sure that's Wait, how, do you, how do you say Wario? <laughs> oh, I do say Wario. Yeah, that's, see? Yeah, that's inconsistent. Wario. Yeah, Wario. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No. know. That's how I grew up here. Wala- it. Waluigi?
1: <laughs> How's Waluigi? <laughs>
0: I say it the way you say it when I say it at all. All right. Victor, good talking to you. You can find Victor's writing at the ringer. You can find him on Twitter at V Luck. Thank you for being the third tip of our Triforce. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks guys. Have a good one. All right, so we'll be right back with our Call of Duty conversation with Mark Ingram. Okay, we are joined now by the most athletic person ever to appear on this podcast in its entire two-episode run. And a little peek behind the curtain, we wanted to talk to someone from outside of the video game industry because Call of Duty has such cross-cultural appeal. And we had a bunch of options to choose from, and we did our due diligence, which uh, mostly consisted of Twitter stalking the various people that we could talk to to try to see how serious about Call of Duty they were. And Mark, your <laughs> Call of Duty credentials checked out. I think you joined Twitter <laughs> in February of 2011, and you were tweeting about Call of Duty as of June 2011. So you've been playing for a while. <laughs> how did you uh, get started?
3: Yeah. Man, um, I started back playing in college, man, uh, and we would, we, we would play all the time, man, multiplayer, zombies, no, no matter what it might be, survival mode, you know, there's just been so many different uh, gaming modes that you can have on, through Call of Duty the past, whatever, seven years or eight years I've been playing the game, so it's a game that I really enjoy a lot, The game that I play, pretty much the only game I play uh, a lot of the time, but um, me and my friends and my teammates and We'll always be online with the headsets, and we'll be playing multiplayer, zombies, campaign modes, doing whatever, man. So it's a game that I really enjoy.
2: Mark, this is Jason. Personal question. um, What is your kill-death ratio?
3: My kill-death ratio is probably, like, a little bit under one total, like (laughs) (laughs) .97 right now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I got to do better. But (laughs) See, the thing is, is when you first start, and, you know... you're trying to get all your your perks and all your guns and all your your attachments. Uh, you got to stay you got to stay as close to positive as you can because yep. if you get in the hole early, it's hard to get out of it. You know.
2: Any particular favorite perks all time in the in the series as a whole?
3: Cold blooded, of course, has to be one of my favorites. Just don't you're immune from all the you know score streaks, anything on the ground like a Cerberus or anything. It won't get you. It'll just it'll go past you. So cold blooded gung-ho i like gung-ho a lot and i've had to say the extra uh what's the what's the one scavenger boost yeah no no it gives you the extra boost so when you're Mm -hmm. jumping you can it'll 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 recharge you faster ah man i forget what it's called man y'all gonna make me go up on uh go go log in on my server right now is it yeah extra boost that's what it is but y'all know what i'm talking about
2: Oh okay yeah I was going to say is it is it dead eye
3: after burn oh. okay
0: <laughs> okay
3: yes after burner mm. you know what i mean it, it helps you It charges up your boost faster, so you could jump more and you could jump faster. You don't have to wait as long for your boost to charge up your boost pack.
2: The thruster Mm -hmm. packs recharge faster.
0: Yeah. So, have you been tempted at all to try either other shooters or branch out into other genres, or are you just a a one franchise man?
3: Man, I gotta stay loyal to the Call of Duty, man. (laughs) You know, I, I, I have people, I have friends that was like, "Have you tried Battlefield? Have you tried this? Have you tried that?" I'm like. Yeah, you know, but I, I gotta stay loyal to Call of Duty, man. It's it's, it's always kind of been my thing, you know. Ever since uh, uh my first few years in college, we we play it a lot, and I've just been stuck on it ever since.
0: So, is there a, a high point in the series? Did you have a favorite game or one that stands out more than the others? I
3: definitely liked I like MW3 a lot, the, the one that's out right now, Black Ops 3. I like that a lot. What's the one that was out like in oh like in two like in oh nine two thousand ten? Was that M W? Was that Modern uh, Warfare?
2: That was. That was Black Ops. That 2? was two. Black Ops two. Tell, talk to us about your play style. Like you're going into a game, multiplayer game. Let's say, uh, let's say a deathmatch game, with your buddies. What's your loadout? Perk loadout? The gun you're gonna use? What's the killstreak loadout you're going for?
3: Right now, I have. I'm 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 either using the ICR or the Razorback. I got the double magazines on there. I got rapid fire, and I got the ELO sight on there. <laughs> um, my perks is Cobalt, Afterburner, and Gung Ho. My score streaks are: it's a Cerberus, a Wraith, and then a Mothership. So I try. Those are the ones I try to go to. I, I don't always make the Mothership, but every on occasion I get the Mothership. What's your
2: all time? What's your favorite kill streak
3: throughout the whole series? My all-time favorite history. It has to be the. It has to be the mothership or the GI unit. I like the GI unit or the mothership because the mothership. If you get that, two of your other teammates can get up in the mothership with you and shoot down on the board. Yep. and the GI unit, he just runs around just killing everybody. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh, but uh, my all-time favorite probably has to be the dogs, man. The yeah, dogs they got to be the dogs. Yeah, the dogs. <laughs> I, I got because I, I, I'm I'm so in tune to the game right now. But I, the dogs are crazy, man. The, do- <laughs> the dogs.
2: The, thing- the dogs are the best. Dogs in World of War and then dogs in Black Ops. I love getting them, but like for them dogs to be out there a minute and kill you in one bite, I goddamn. I mean that was that
0: those, was the those, most those overpowered.
2: Dogs, <laughs> yeah, they absolutely get into those you.
0: Those dogs be tearing you up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> do you have like a a greatest game like a legendary game that you like to relive whether it was just your your greatest killed death score or whatever your best showing on a leaderboard yeah you know
3: anytime you're number one in the winner's circle that's always bragging rights you know <laughs> Number one, Winter circle always, always is the best. But um, I had a game. I think my best game ever was probably like thirty-eight and two. I think that's my best game ever. I know. So I have some friends who be going on there. They they go thirty piece, forty piece every time. Like it's crazy. But you know, I'm just trying to hold my own, stay over one keep my kill death ratio positive, you know, that's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> There'd be some people on there going crazy online,
0: you know, some real good gamers, man. And how many of your teammates play? Is there like man, a, a big circle on the Saints? Is it big in the NFL? It's big in, in, in the NFL in general,
3: but especially on the Saints, I have at least it's a even 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 some of the, the young trainers, you know, <laughs> like even the equipment guys, like it's not just players, it's just people in the entire organization in the facility. We're all talking about, yeah, man, let's get on. We have a group chat. We'll we'll all get on there. Like, we was on last night at, like, 10 p.m., about four of us. Uh, Me, Tremont Armstead, Senio Calamete, one of my friends, Rafael Bush, he plays for Detroit. So um, it's just a number of us that we all were teammates, and uh, you know we're at different places now, but we all keep in touch so we could get on duty together.
0: Is there a like a most unexpected, most surprising player who is serious about Call of Duty that people wouldn't wouldn't guess? Hmm. Or are you the most hardcore? Are there people I'm, who are I'm, equally into I'm, it? I'm
3: into it. I'm into it heavy, but we got a couple guys that are like I'm telling you, man, that can that can do this that can do it, that they, they, they can play that game, man. I, like, kill-death ratio always, like, over, like, 1-5, like, always getting 30 and 40 pieces. Like, I'm telling you, man, I know I have a couple guys on my team, like, you know, Teron Archer. he's really good. Rashad Mabry, he's really, he's really good. You know, Senio Calamete, that's one of my friends, he's real good. Uh, just just a number of guys that I play with. Rafael Bush, I mentioned him. We got a couple other friends that, was um, in was in the, the league with us that's not on teams anymore that that play that are real good. It's just man, if you get into the game and you have any type of competitiveness about you, like you you gonna master it where you can play pretty well. Like those guys are real good. I'm 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 okay. Like I'm I'm pretty decent, but you know we got some guys we got some guys that can really that can really play like with 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 anybody. So I think if you talk to anybody around the NFL, I think there's a number of at least ten to. 12 15 people that's you know solid players in call of duty around this team you know
0: Uh so football is a sport for disciplinarians and you have some coaches who are tough guys so what do they think about video games i mean are they okay with you guys all playing at night do they not know about it do you have to hide it
3: well i mean i think you you have to know you have to get your work done you know so when we're going to work and we're, we're watching film and we're knowing all our plays like you know if you come home and you get some downtime, you just want to relax and enjoy your, you know, gaming life. I don't think they have too much of a problem with it as long as you're performing and you know what you're doing when it's time to work, you know?
0: And what is the peak period for gaming during the NFL season? What's the, the day or the time that you can get the most Call of Duty time in?
3: Monday and Tuesday, for sure. Those, those are, Uh uh-huh. if you, when you win Sunday, you get a victory Monday. So you get a lot of time to game on Monday. And then Tuesday is my is, is always a day off around the NFL, so um, you can get a lot of gaming in on Tuesday as well. So I think Monday and Tuesday would be the peak amount of hours that an NFL player can get some gaming in.
2: As a player, what, how would you describe your playing style? Are you more? Are you a camping guy? Do you prefer to like defend an objective? You want to run. You're like a running back. You want to run.
3: I'm running gun, man. I'm running gun. That's why I like. That's why I like that gun ho perk, you know. So yeah. I, I can shoot you while I'm sprinting, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I gotta run a gun, man. I can't stay camping unless I'm trying to get like um, a bloodthirsty to unlock a, a camo, or if I, or if I'm about to get a mothership, I might be able to stay in a corner and like, you know, get a couple more kills. But my favorite game mode is kill confirmed because you really can't camp yeah. on kill confirmed. You know, you got to go out there and you got to confirm your kills. So that's my favorite. I used to play deathmatch all the time, but you can get, run into a lot of campers on deathmatch. So I kind of like to run a gun. So I like the kill confirmed game mode. And um, that I, I like to be able to run a gun. I might have a lot of deaths, but I plan on having more kills than deaths, you know.
2: It, the thing I always liked about kill confirmed especially when you just get the game is it's a great way to learn a map because you got to run around. Um what's your strategy when you, when you first start you just crack the wrapper off of a new Call of Duty you just downloaded it what's your what's your strategy for approaching the game trying to figure out the maps learn learn how to the ins and outs of the game.
3: So if you if you play the campaign you can get a good feel for majority of the maps, you know? So like when a map pops up on multiplayer like you're kind of familiar with it. But um, when I when I first log on multiplayer, I'm just kind of just like I'm not running just blindly. I'm kind of on the edges of the board, on the outskirts, looking in, trying to figure out where everybody's at, where all the hotspots are at, so I can get familiar with the boards. Because um, like I said, man, you don't want that kill death ratio to start off bad because you get in a hole <laughs> and you can't get out of it. So you know, um, I just try and uh, walk around the map a little cautiously and aware of everything and just try to figure everything out as far as you know where all the hot spots are at where the middle of the board is where rock high if it gets crazy i just try and get a feel for the maps
0: what sport do you think has the most or the best pro athletes who play call of duty hmm.
3: i had to say football man i had to go to the nfl I've, I've, I've ran into even since college man i think football players we just had a good good hand eye coordination some good vision to be able to all around the board. I don't know, man. I have, I have some teammates, man, that can, that can throw down on that call of duty. So um, I'll put them up against some of the be- better players that uh, around the world because these guys, I know we go online all the time, and they always hold it down, man, always at the top, always having crazy KD ratios and getting crazy score streaks. And I'd have to say the NFL.
0: Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you about that because there are a lot of studies out there that show that playing first-person shooters can actually help you learn. It can help your reflexes. It can help your spatial awareness, all this kind of cognitive benefits. And I wonder whether you think Call of Duty makes you better at football or football makes you better at Call of Duty? I
3: think it kind of can like benefit both ways because like you have to be able to look quick and be able to react quick and be able to aim and shoot and all your everything has to be on high alert and everything has to be on point because if you don't, if you just hesitate for one second, you're dead, right? <laughs> so you have to be able to be on point point, locate uh, an enemy, uh, tell the difference between the enemy and your own person because I, I like to play hardcore. So you don't kill your own person and you get kicked out in three kills. So, um, uh, I just feel like you have to be more aware and, um, you to be on point, man, with what you're seeing, what you're shooting, and making sure that you're aiming and you're hitting the right buttons if you're throwing a grenade, if you're throwing a flashbang. Um, if you're firing at the hip or aiming down the side and shooting, you just all your fingers and your thoughts all have to be moving together. So I think it it goes both ways because even on the field, in the NFL, man, you you always have to be aware. Um, if you hesitate for a minute, you probably get knocked out. So, um, you know, you just have to always be on point, man. And everything always has to be uh, sound and crisp, just just like you're playing multiplayer or campaign mode.
0: Yeah. Well, where do you have your sensitivity settings? Are you one of those people who cranks it all the way up and you just have to barely touch the stick to turn around quickly or do you have it set lower?
3: I have it set like at like seven. So I'm not like uh-huh. I'm not I'm not like medium, but I'm not crazy high where you just spinning all around <laughs> out of control. I just like to have a kinda yeah. I like to be able to turn fast but not so fast that I'm shooting all past my dude that I'm aiming for or turning all around, making myself dizzy and stuff. So I know some people who play, like, they barely even, they're running, like, they barely even have to touch a stick, and it's just, they're, they're turning around, right. firing, shooting, jumping crazy. I'm like, man, I, I will get killed so fast with my sensitivity that high. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> do, you
2: have a, do you have a particular map that you like, or a map
3: size? You like the smaller maps? Smaller, I like smaller maps, man. The, the smaller maps, it goes down on those maps.
2: <laughs> you have a favorite? On Modern Warfare? Any of the series, the whole series. at
3: all. Newtown is always legendary. Who yeah. doesn't like Newtown, right? Another one I like is, I like that original, the the original, uh, the map on, on, I think it was Modern Warfare, the first one. It was like just in the desert with that little, uh, it was like in that little, it was a real small board, but it had the... um it had like a little AC ventilation running up the middle that you could run up and it was just like sand.
2: Oh, it's like surrounded, surrounded by a fence. It was like a little fenced in area.
3: Yeah. That board. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. What was that? What was that? What was, that? What was that, no. that board called? You know, it was like the, it was like one of the first games, man. That was always one of my favorite a classic board, man. You know, what's what I'm talking Shipment. about. Shipment. Yep. 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 That's That was it. That was it. <laughs> that was it. You got it. <laughs> I, you know, there's so many games and so many boards. I don't remember all the names. Yeah. <laughs> kind of visual, I can kind of visualize the boards that I love, you
0: know. <laughs> Last month you tweeted that if a clown ran up on you, you'd throw hands on sight. Have you played the the Call of Duty clown map, Sideshow? No, I
3: have I haven't played the clown map yet. No. That's on the new one.
0: <laughs> it's uh Advanced Warfare. I think it's DLC. No, no,
3: I haven't played the clown. Map. I haven't played the, uh, the clown map. <laughs> but, yeah, the clown stuff is crazy. The clown stuff is crazy going on. Uh, <laughs> like, you see clowns driving in car, clowns in the most, like, suspect spots. You know, I just don't know what's going on with the clowns everywhere. But if one runs up on me, you know, I'm going to have to call the duty on, man. Do you
2: have a, now, do you have a theory about what's behind the clowns? <laughs>
3: I don't know what's up with it. <laughs> I hear I hear that they're coming out the woods, I hear that they're just messing with people in the streets, like I don't know what's up with the clowns, so I don't know what the clown's intentions are. But if you have an evil mask on and coming out the woods, I, I don't know.
0: I just feel like you're a threat, you know. So you, you just use call of duty as a verb. It can you use that in a football context? Yeah, like Yeah,
3: I can call of duty. You, you know how you run up behind somebody and you just bat them upside the head with a gun, just bop you know. <laughs>
0: Is that uh, a yeah, penalty? Yeah, call of Duty, uh, <laughs>
3: or like, or like, I run, I run around with the boxing gloves on. You know, you got the boxing gloves now, so I'll be running around trying to hit people with the boxing gloves. <laughs> got It's fun, man. We 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 use it. Uh, we we use Call of Duty as as fun for us all the time, whether it's just regular conversation or verbiage or. You know, it's just a game. It's a lifestyle, man. It's a livelihood for us.
0: <laughs> so have you gotten to spend much time with Infinite Warfare? And if so, what are the changes you're looking forward to?
3: I, I played a little bit. I played a little bit on the campaign mode, and I played the beta. I played the beta a couple weekends. I think that was like last weekend the beta was out. Last two weekends I played the beta. Yeah. And um, it was it was real cool, man. I'm trying to get adjusted to it. I like the fact that you could pick, like, uh, what kind of style you want, whether you want, like, a, a traditional warrior or, like, a speed guy or a heavy defense person. Um, I like that. And um, all the guns, you know, you can be able to unlock new guns. And uh, all the guns are different on, like, the game. So I always look forward to seeing too, what, what gun's going to be my favorite. I usually go with an assault rifle or a submachine gun. But, we we enjoyed it so far. Like I said, me and my teammates, we tried it out on beta. We were liking it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the uh, Modern Warfare remastered yeah. that game as well. Yeah, that's what I'm really. Looking. I think I'm gonna play that a bunch. I think I'm gonna play yeah.
2: that a bunch. That game, when that game came out, it it basically ruined my life for like a year because I couldn't stop yeah, playing man. it. What do you um? So, Advanced Warfare brought in like a mech suits, and Infinite Warfare took you to space. Where do you think the the series goes after this? Where would you like it to go?
3: Man, I I, I like where it's at. Like, I don't want it to be too crazy, like futuristic. I kind of. I did you play um Destiny at all? I don't know if you yep. play Destiny. Yeah, I played a lot I kinda, of. Yes. I kind of. Yeah, I kind of got into that a little bit, but I don't want it to go crazy futuristic kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the thing the thing with Destiny is it's too much like that's too much work. That's too much like going around and picking up like minerals and stuff.
3: Mhm. Yeah. Like I, I just really like the Call of Duty. How they, you know, like we. Uh, Y'all upgrade things, but you don't overdo it. Like that's really why I like the game a lot. It's a game I'm comfortable with. It's a game that I played for many years, and I, I really enjoy all the game modes and all the systems, man. Because you know the zombies from the campaign mode to the zombies to the multiplayer. It's just plenty of things that you could do, man. Like if you if you play multiplayer for a while, like if you want to like get a, a new fix, like you can get you can get on zombies, like. If you're tired of zombies, you can get back on multiplayer. Or if, you, if you're tired of those game modes, you can just beat the game in, in campaign mode on different levels, whether it's on easy, super hard, or, you know, you can try to beat it. So um, I just like that. They keep adding new little twists and new little wrinkles to the game. Like, it's not it's not going too overboard, but it's just always a new little twist and new little wrinkle that I really enjoy. So um, that's why I love playing Call of Duty. That's why I always play it.
0: So last question, you know, for people like me and Jason, I mean, we're just sitting at our computers and writing or podcasting all day. So we need an outlet sort of, you know, somewhere to let out our aggression and a a first person shooter can can be good for that. But for you, you know, you are going from real violence in your day job to virtual violence when you're playing Call of Duty. So not to get too heavy here at the end of the interview, but I mean, is it a good source of stress relief for you to come off the field and then, you know, shoot people in Call of Duty? Or do you ever just kind of want to take it down a notch and play a puzzle game or something?
3: Well, I mean, if if I just want to relax, I'll just relax, you know, I won't play the game. But it's just like I'm super competitive, man. I love winning, and I love trying to upgrade my player, upgrade my weapons and, and uh, prestige. I love doing all that, man. So um, it's just kind of like a fix, man. It's just kind of like that itch, man. You just want to come home, and you want to compete, and um, your friends are talking mess. And uh, <laughs> you, know, you want to get online. And, you know, Put those who, dogs on them. Who, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you want to see who had the best kill-death ratio, who, who's going to be in the winner circle. Um, so it's just fun, man. It's just a lot of fun, and it's the things that we talk about, things that we enjoy. So, um I know we have a lot of violence and a lot of action on the football field, but gaming is still very fun to a lot of us, so we really enjoy it a lot. And um like i said, we're we're real competitive and just like you guys, man, we wanna we wanna upgrade all our guns. We wanna get all our attachments. We wanna get that kill death ratio looking right. You wanna get that. You wanna be a prestige master. You know, it's just a level of clout, man, a level of respect you get in the gaming world when uh when when you have great stats like that. So that's what we all look forward to, man.
0: All right. Well, you can all follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Ingram twenty two and uh, see his sure to be frequent Call of Duty tweets when he starts <laughs> Infinite Warfare, Mark. Uh, Thanks for talking to us and good luck out there. Thanks a lot.
3: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay, so that will do it for episode two of Achievement Oriented. By the way, achievements, as in video game achievements, you guys got it right. If you like the show, please subscribe to the Channel 33 feed in iTunes or your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Feedback is welcome and we hope that you'll help us spread the word. So We'll be back with another episode next week.